Hey, you ready? They grab that right there. <laughs> Are you ready? Hey. Is you ready? Ready? You say you ready? Oh. Whole squad ready? Ready? Is you ready? Huh? Are you ready? Ready? Is you ready? Whole squad hey. ready? We came here to see Jet. What you got? Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to another episode of the Quackback Block Show, featuring myself, Joseph Young, and Mr. Tom Gillis. Hi, Joseph. Hi. How you doing? I'm good. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good myself. All right. Yeah. So, Tom, uh, what are you looking forward the most to seeing in the Cal game on our end? Uh, just coherent offense, really, in the in the run game. Because it's been really inconsistent this year. So, yeah, I'll just leave it as inconsistent. <laughs> I think that's fair. I want to see how uh, how Calvin Throckmorton does on the edge against that duo of uh, Evan Weaver and Cam Good, especially if they're still shuffling the uh, offensive line around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a fun... Fun fact about uh, Evan Weaver is that, yes, he is leading the nation in tackles by an outstanding margin, but history has shown that that doesn't really mean much of anything when it comes to award season or mm-hmm. uh, or draft stock. I mean, I think yeah. you have to go back to Eric Kendricks in 2014 before you find a guy that led the, the NCAA yeah. tackles that actually did something. I mean, I look at uh, even the guys in the last three years have all gone as undrafted free agents into the uh, into the NFL. So I'll, I'm going to see where where this takes him. I mean, he's obviously talented and he has a lot of hype, but I don't know if that's really going to resonate a lot with yeah uh, the people out there. Um, and, and if you look at his his other stats, I mean, he only has like one pass defense and I think like maybe two sacks. Disruptive, yes. And he has one amazing stat. But the rest is is kind of ho-hum. Yeah. So one matchup I'm looking forward to is Weaver against any of our running backs <laughs> if they get going to the second level. And also who who covers either Bruland or Webb at the tight end position. Or even uh, the new guys coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got... Schooler. Yeah, we have Schooler and we have um, Pittman. Pittman. We have Brennan Schooler and Micah Pittman coming back. Thanks for the assist yeah. there. Um, <laughs> and I'm excited to see how that extra yeah. level of offense really opens up our dynamic running game. Mm-hmm. And I would like to see our running game be dynamic again. Yeah, so do we have any predictions for this game? It's been a really wild line. I've been keeping track of it. Uh, it opened at 15 and a half. It's been as high as 18 as we speak right now. The line is 17 and a half. Um, I don't think we're going to quite make that big of a dent. Um, mm-hmm. Let's say probably not much less than two touchdowns. So I'll say... Uh, 3220. Yeah, mine is um 24 14 cuz I think Cal's defense makes just enough stops to make it interesting for the Ducks late and also 
the the team tends to get conservative when it when it gets uh when it gets to closing time. So moving on to our uh, Pac-12 recap segment. Check me out. Uh, Friday night was last Friday night was Cal against Arizona State. What did you think of that game? That was a bit difficult to watch. Um, just as soon as as soon as Garbers went out, uh, it seemed to take a lot of wind out of Cal's sails, mm-hmm. and Arizona State saw that and attacked. And I felt like if both teams were playing the best football they could, then Cal obviously would have been a better team, but they were fighting a lot of apathy. Yeah. And as a, as a fan of good football, it was difficult for me to watch. It was a really close game at the end. Yeah, I think it was Cal. Ran the ball 12 consecutive times for a touchdown. That was really surprising that they didn't stick with that game plan, given their new quarterback just came into the, came into the game. So it was really surprising. So moving on to one of the premier matchups of, of the past weekend was uh, USC at Washington. And Washington pulled it out at the end due to several several errors by USC. So what did you think of that? Oh, man, it was sloppy on yeah. USC's end. I think came out and was gunslinging it around. And sometimes the wide receivers were definitely not on the same page. I felt like Washington did an excellent job of just maintaining its cool and not letting the the stage uh, get the best of them. I know that when USC comes to town, it can be a little uh, uh, there can be some pomp and circumstance that is that's involved with that. It's great to see Washington back, just being Washington in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of just shows up and asserts its dominance. I mean, it was. 14 nothing after the first first half it, I had a had a few questions coming out of this game uh, is is USC good so obviously they're on the third string quarterback and it doesn't seem like there's a lot of cohesion but mm-hmm. I don't know if that's due to lack of practice or if if kind of if somewhat of the shine has come off of USC in the last couple of years um, yeah Again, it was it was fun to see Washington be good. Jake Beeson slinging the ball all around. They had, uh, I think, like eight people running the ball. Six different receivers caught a pass. Defense looked probably the best that I've seen him. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think of the game? Uh, I think it was a close contest where USC made too many mistakes, but definitely exposed Washington for the other teams to take advantage of. In particular, the interior of their offensive line, they had a lot of issues handling USC's front. So that's something to keep an eye on, particularly against Oregon. So moving on to our next game, uh, Utah ha- held the Washington State in check for the most part, and they came away with like a two-touchdown advantage. That was surprising to see Washington State losing that badly to Utah. And uh, did you see where... Um, do you say where? Do you see where Coach Leach uh, called out his team after the after the game? Fat, dumb, happy, and entitled. Yeah, <laughs> he has a history of doing that, so we'll see how that affects the team. So, yeah, Utah just dominated their off Washington State's offense with their defense, so it was pretty much as expected, I believe. 
one of the things that I really enjoyed about this game was during the broadcast, they had to pull the, uh, the ESPN camera crew off the field because of a threat of lightning. And so all we were getting was the, uh, the stadium broadcast cameras. Mm -hmm. And so we had a very unique view of the field. It was the, the all 22 for probably a quarter and a half. Yeah. And it was uh, annoying at first, but then once I kind of understood what was going on, it was uh, an excellent opportunity to kind of peek behind the curtain uh, as a fan and, and see that point of view. Yeah. Yeah, there was another Pac-12 North game where several races might be decided later on in the year, where Stanford went to Oregon State and beat them on a really late game touchdown, I believe, where Stanford was really consistent on offense against the Beavers in this game. Uh, Yeah, on my notes, I have nobody actually won this game. Yeah. <laughs> um. It's the tale of two teams both scrambling towards mediocrity, but from different starting points. It was kind of a fitting last couple of minutes where Oregon State kept on getting breaks and not being able to follow through and Stanford just getting lucky and in the right place at the right time and not any team really looking like they wanted to win the game as much as mm -hmm. wanted to like finish the game and go home. Yeah. <laughs> at least uh, at least they didn't play that chainsaw noise endlessly on boop. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. So So what stood out to you nationally? Nationally? Uh well first off I have to admit that I was wrong about the Maryland Penn State game. Uh last week I had said that I thought that this was going to be a a high-scoring affair with both teams boat racing the field, and um, it looks like only one team actually did such a thing. <laughs> Maryland decided they didn't know how to play football anymore, and Penn State looked like they were just really enjoying scoring points. The final score was 59-0, to uh, which is astonishing to me. Um, I saw a stat today. Uh, Maryland Terrapins had the first ranked defense or offense in the nation after the first two games. And after scoring zero points last game, they only fell to 18th, which just goes to show you how dominant they were the first couple of games. And, and so for Penn State to come out and score 59 unanswered points on Maryland is, I don't know how much of an indictment on the Maryland defense or the, the Maryland offense. Um, I think the Maryland Terrapins' leading rusher had 24 yards. 24 yards for on a team that led the nation in offense by an mm -hmm. extraordinary margin. The leading receiver only had 18 yards. You don't. That's not how you win football games. Yeah, not many. <laughs> yeah, Penn State, like I said, just needed to have just a whipping boy of a game after getting uh, kind of embarrassed playing Pittsburgh the mm -hmm. week before, uh, two weeks before. They had a bye week last week. And it was unfortunate it was Maryland, but I think that they just got it out of their system. And now they kind of look unstoppable. Um, they've got games coming up at Iowa and hosting Michigan, and then they don't see Ohio State until uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah. But they're 
just going to run through their schedule. And it's going to be kind of fun to watch. Yeah. Okay, one game I was paying attention to was Clemson against North Carolina, which is a wild finish. I wasn't paying attention to it until the last quarter. Yeah. Yeah, Clemson let North Carolina hang around a little bit, and then North Carolina took advantage. I agree with the two-point play call, the decision to go for it on two, but the play call was very weird, I'll say. Clemson got away with one. It, I think it was their annual uh, what-are-you-doing game, and no, I think they're going to romp through their schedule like nobody's business. I, I do think they're going to romp through their schedule like nobody's business, but that has more to do with their schedule rather than yeah. anything else. Uh, I think this was or kind of a, an, an ACC revealed moment in uh, the college landscape. ACC in the power rankings is, is the very last of the Power Five conferences, even yeah. going into this week, which is saying a lot considering the number one team in the nation was in the mm-hmm. ACC. Um, And then to be ranked last among the Power Five conferences was pretty telling. And then for them to come up, go into North Carolina uh, and show this, uh, this weakness. It's like when Rocky makes Drago bleed and it's not a great look for, for the ACC for them to have close games like this with their premier programs. Um, I think uh, later on, we'll talk about University of Virginia but right now they're the only other ACC team, I think, in the top 30. There are more AACs in the top 30 than there are ACCs. I felt like Clemson kind of opened the fourth quarter a little bit lackadaisical, and UNC took advantage of it. It was, it was exciting to watch UNC, exciting to watch Mac Brown get, uh, get excited. Uh, I kind of feared that he might have a, uh, a heart attack. Not a good look for the ACC. I wonder what the yeah. uh, what the wonder what the playoff committee is going to think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, speaking of Virginia, they played at Notre Dame. It was it was a lot closer than the score indicated, but uh, Notre Dame ultimately outtalented them. It was a really closely fought game, except for Virginia turning it over a couple of times that that decided the margin. Yeah, that was a really good game. The three thirty slate was really loaded, or the twelve thirty slate for Pacific time. 3.30 on the East Coast. Uh, yeah, uh, for me it was, it was a game that was all about controlling the tension where UND showed up and both teams came out of the gate looking really fired up and really uh, energized. And then as soon as Notre Dame started uh, running away with it, then they would relax and Virginia would, would creep up. And then as soon as Notre Dame saw that Virginia was trying again and they would try again, and it was all about like like who was going to care more that was going to is yeah. going to win the game and it seems that once a team got up or uh, within striking distance they would kind of step off the gas a little bit the another 330 game that was um close before it uh it turned ultimately turned into a blowout was was Alabama against Ole Miss Ole Miss was actually leading Alabama at one point in the first half so Alabama was like, what, what is this? And just turn it on and just blew them away. Yeah, I kind of just assumed this was going to be uh, Alabama shellacking of Old Miss. But yeah. when I saw Old Miss was ahead 10-7 at the first quarter, I was, I was intrigued. Um, and I turned over and watched the, the 2-0 the Devonta Smith show. 
I think they both set a couple of school records against Ole Miss. Um, yeah. It was uh, uh, Devonta Smith had 274 yards receiving and five touchdowns, which sounds impressive on the surface, but um, when he had four of those touchdowns and 221 of those yards by the end of the first half, and then two attacks on six passing touchdowns and a rushing touchdown, or I think the school record for the total touchdowns scored by a quarterback. And he also has a school record for a number of games with five or more passing touchdowns. Yeah, another game that was intriguing in the afternoon slate was um, Michigan State and Indiana, where Michigan State had to kick a game-winning field goal really late to avoid the upset. Because Indiana has a couple games every year where they just get up for it and actually play hard comparative to their opponents. So Michigan State was it wasn't a dogfight in this one. Yeah, this is another one of those games that was uh, a lot closer yeah. than the score indicates. Yeah. And another one of those games that somebody just had to win. That's one of the things I've noticed about uh, Michigan State kind of this year is that they, they look like they're going through the motion most of the time. There's not a lot of exuberance on the sideline and I don't know if that's a coaching staff mm-hmm. thing or if that's a, 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 motiv- a player motivation thing if there's something going on in the locker room but it's just it's not fun to watch Michigan State football. I was actually found myself rooting for Indiana uh, quite a bit in this game uh, mainly because of I think Michael Penix is a really dynamic athletic quarterback who's fun to watch and I really like Whoop Fillier. I don't know if that's a nickname or if that's a given name but another one of the best names in college football <laughs> yeah auburn blow up mississippi state as expected and one interesting note from that game was uh the auburn running back whitlow running into the the mississippi state mascot and turns out everything was okay with the dog so yeah it turns out the dog i heard that the um the trainers had to go facetime a doctor to make sure the dog was okay so I guess they didn't have a veterinarian on site having mm. to face some a doctor to, you know, make diagnose uh, diagnose anything. You think that after last year's Sugar Bowl, they would have learned their lesson. Yeah. Um, and by they, I mean animal handlers on the sideline. Yeah, this was an interesting game. Uh, if you just look down the stat sheet, you probably it doesn't really tell the tale of the game. Booby Whitlow only had 55 rushing yards, which included a long of 30, which I think was ended with that uh, running into the mascot. Um, but he had three touchdowns, and Auburn just ended up paving the road with Mississippi State. Final score is 56-23, and it wasn't even that close. Yeah, it was like 49-3 to at half. Yeah. yeah. Um, Bo Nix is playing with this brilliant combination of reckless abandon and stately cool-headedness um, mm-hmm. that's making him really dangerous combined mm-hmm. with his natural talent and his physique. Um, yeah. He's he's got a cannon of an arm, and when they try to take away the passing game, he can run the ball just as well. Probably an underrated run. I no longer question if Auburn is good. I mean, Bo Nix was a question mark. It's always a question mark when you're starting a freshman quarterback. Um, And I lost a bunch of receiving talent last year. I knew their defense was going to be good, but I didn't know if they had it in them to be able to uh, go through a legit SEC defense. and. Mm-hmm. They put any sort of doubt in my mind to bed about the, their offense this last weekend. And Mississippi State, 
Um, I think that they learned a lot about themselves. I think that uh, Garrett Schrader is going to be their starter going forward. Um, Tommy Stevens, the guy who followed uh, Moorhead over from PSU, didn't seem like he did much of anything. I think they only had 22 yards of offense in the first half. Um, and then when Schrader came in, they, they, that's when they started opening it up a bit. Um, and they learned that they can't just rely on their defense to win games anymore. Yeah. So nationally, there's a couple of games next week or this coming weekend that have my interest. In particular, Utah State against LSU. I don't expect it to be a close game given the talent disparity, but the one guy I'm keeping an eye on as a draft evaluator is um, Utah State quarterback Jordan Love. All the scouts and everybody in the draft community is hyping him up to be like a first-round pick. So we'll see how he does against the LSU defense. Because LSU's defense has um, has a ton of talent through all three levels, particularly their safety. Grant Delpit, he's the best safety in the country, and it's not even close. And their edge rusher, Kayvon Chason? I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah, he's a... Uh, He's one of the best edge rushers, and LSU is pretty much known for producing this. We'll see how Jordan Love fares against them. I think the spread on this game is 28. Uh, do you think yeah. that the Utah State covers? I hope so. And yeah. another game I have, another game I have my eye on is um, is Oklahoma State against Texas Tech. So that should be a shootout. Uh, yeah, the. Uh... The over/under on this game is sixty-four and a half. You I think, think they blow past that blow in past the third quarter. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see both teams over sixty-four and a half themselves. Yeah, yeah. Oklahoma State has a couple of guys that are draft eligible, and a uh, Cuba Hubbard who just absolutely went off last week. I think he had like two hundred ninety-six yards last week and a couple of touchdowns. And their receiver, Tylen Wallace, he's he's one of the better receivers in the class. And Texas Tech also has a receiver named TJ Vasher. He's more of a bigger guy. Um, he's, I think he's like 6'4", 6'5", 220-ish. So he'll be a good resident threat for them. Also, arguably the game of the week and college game that he's going there is Auburn against Florida. What do you think of that game? Um, that is my, my non-conference game of the week. I think that Florida has been overrated uh, most of the season. Um, mm-hmm. A top 20 team, I could, be, I could be convinced, but they're definitely not a top 10 team. I think that this is going to show us a lot about what Florida is, and if Auburn just keeps on doing what it's doing, uh, it shouldn't have a problem. with. Um, if th- the score is like 17-10, then I think Florida wins that game. It's going to be the first team to 20 points wins, essentially. Yeah. I think that Florida has a little bit better of a defensive secondary than Mississippi State does, but I still don't think that they have the fortitude to be able to stop Auburn. Yeah, I think the key matchup in this one is Auburn's offensive lineman, uh, Prince Tegawanaho against Florida's edge rusher, um, Javari Zuniga, because they're two of the best in their positions in the SEC and nationally. Also on Florida's defense line, they have a, the Louisville transfer, um, Jonathan Galliard, I believe that's his name. He transferred over when Todd Grantham got hired on at Florida, so he's been a revelation for them. He, I think he actually leads the team in sacks. 
there's also a corner named CJ Henderson, and he's a highly rated corner as well. So we'll see how the matchups within the matchup plays out. Florida is really lacking on their defensive secondary depth with all yeah. the, the cornerbacks they lack. They lost in the offseason. And also, the, there's a game that comes on around the same time as the Oregon game. And it was already known since last weekend that it was going to be the game, ABC game of the night, uh, Michigan State against Ohio State. So that should be a good one. I think Michigan State was looking past Indiana a little bit to this one, thus the struggles. So we'll see if Michigan State's defense can stop Ohio State's offense. I don't think so. No, no. I think that Lewerke is just going to get worked and think that it's going to be another bloodbath. Uh, I would not be surprised if this game ended up very similar to the Nebraska game. Michigan State has an edge rusher named um, Kenny Willickis. He, I believe he's one of the best edge rushers in the class. And it's a pretty deep class, so he's very talented and if he didn't break his foot last year in the bowl game against Oregon, I believe he would have been a first-round pick in this year's draft. So we'll see. And Ohio State has a couple of guys on their defense. Um, Chase Young, he's like the college football version of Zion and because um, he, he's an athletic freak. He, if you see a picture of him like in the offseason, he's like way bigger than his running back who's not a who's not a small guy himself so he's the best edge rusher in the country no questions asked yeah six five two sixty five uh with his hair he's a striking resemblance to the predator yeah he's getting uh jadavian clown in comparisons because his athleticism uh, he's got the size where he could stand up and be a uh, and be a linebacker if he needed to. is very uh, kind of like the way we use Kevin Thibodeau. There's really no reason to make him stand up, but he can if you need him to. There's also a linebacker for them, for the Buckeyes, named Tough Borland. Good name. Yeah, good name for a linebacker. <laughs> yeah. And also in their secondary, there's a, a guy named um, Jeffrey Akuda. He's been there for, I think, four years, and he's one of the best corners in the country. That's saying a lot because of how deep the cornerback class is. So, yeah, he's, he's CB1 on my board without question. And I don't, think, uh, I don't think Michigan State's offense can handle Ohio State's defense. Also, there's a, there's a couple of uh, Pac-12 games of note this coming weekend besides Oregon and Cal. Arizona is going to Colorado, so we'll see how that turns out. Arizona is starting their backup, Frank Gunnell. He started last week against UCLA, so he did pretty well. I think Colorado will be a much different test for him. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see uh, who lines up for Colorado. They lost, I think, five guys uh, at the Arizona State game. Their their sack leader, uh, Mustafa Johnson, uh, was out. Uh, LaVisca Chenault was out. Uh, Mikhail Anu, their uh, their defensive leader in turnovers forced. Um, he was also forced out of the game. I think he ended up did coming back, but he's still officially day to day. Another defensive starter, Chris Miller. There's been a lot of chatter about whether or not those guys are coming back, but you know, kind of well, as we were talking about earlier, uh, all the coaching staff says is that they're day to day. I mean, could be that they're holding him out of practice because. Uh, precautionary measures or because um, their leg fell off but they're still day-to-day on the sheet yeah um, I think that 
if Colorado has its full complement of players, especially being in Colorado, uh, they should handle Arizona just fine, especially with Arizona having Will yeah. Tate and JJ Taylor out. It's going to be it's going to be a lot more of an uphill battle if they don't have some of those key players. Another game uh, we're paying attention to is Washington against Stanford. So we'll see if uh, if Washington has anything for Stanford, given the two games that those two respective teams played last weekend. Yeah, this is the one that I've circled as my game of the week because I want to see if Washington is for real. They've had a really good showing against BYU. They had an excellent showing against uh, Southern Cal. And if they can string three really good games together, then I'm, uh, I'm a Husky believer. But right now, the way that the college football landscape is, is shaking up, I'd say I really don't know. I'm still waiting for the other shoe to drop with Stanford. I know that they have talent. I've seen it. I know that they have a good coach. He's had a proven track record. But for some reason, something isn't working in Stanford. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know if it can be fixed. And I'm just waiting for that one game where they decide that they're going to be the team that they look like they were last year, team that I know that they can be. It could be any minute. Also, I don't know the status of uh, KJ Costello for Stanford yet. I don't know if this came out or not, but hopefully he plays. And with this being a Pac-12 after dark game, anything could happen. Yeah. The ground could open up and swallow the stadium whole. Yep. It's on the yeah. bay, so it's not too out of the, out of the yeah. question. Yeah. Pac-12 after dark and Pac-12 refs, interesting combination. So that wraps up our look at this week's upcoming games in the conference and nationally. It's time for our favorite segment of the show, the Quack and Answers. Pull up the questions here. Yeah, from Addicted to Quack. Get chances here. <laughs> okay, I asked them earlier today for some questions and they delivered. <clears throat> okay, um, here's our first one. Cyril Fig- Figus asked, How savage is Dame's new diss track? Um, it's pretty savage. I really hope that this is just kind of a PR stunt between him and Shaq and there really isn't any bad beef. Because I want to believe that Shaq has a better sense of humor than this. And I want to think that Dame is genuinely a better person than uh, what this is portraying. Um, but yeah, it's he's spitting straight fire. When I listened to it, I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> That's better than some other well-known rappers. I'll have to say that from what I've heard, and granted, I don't really pay attention very much. But from what I've heard, Dame is the best rapper actively playing in the nba yeah i feel confident saying that at me if i'm wrong (laughs) yeah rip city okay and our next question is should have been a duck ass it's a personal question has there ever been someone worse than you at fantasy football are you actively trying to lose well in the addicts the quack league i'm currently winless so Maybe I'm trying to pull a Washington here. Maybe go winless of the whole season. I should get rewarded for that. <laughs> in, uh, in one of my leagues, we have a league where everybody makes the playoffs and the regular season is just proceeding. And there was a guy who went 4-10 and ten, two consecutive years and ended up winning both years. 
Yeah. Okay. Our next question is from Cyril Figgis again. If you could invent a new day of the week, what would it, what would you name it, and when would it be? Hmm. Oh man, what would you name it? Hmm. Man. Yeah. That's a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? Um, I would I would put it. I wouldn't know what to name it, but I would put it in between Thursday and Friday. Have another extra day on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I would have Smithens Day yeah. be between Saturday and Sunday because I would like a day between my major or my major football days. Yeah. That way, my wife doesn't feel like I'm neglecting her for two straight days. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, uh, Pete five nine two asks if anything is fair game, why not start with Ewoks? Okay, well, I, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means either. So, <laughs> um, because they're cute, that's a good reason. Yeah. Uh, okay. This question, uh, we're not gonna, we're not gonna answer because it's a uh, family-oriented show. So, it's a funny question, but I'm not gonna answer it because it's a family-oriented show. Sorry, Groucho Duck. Mm, sorry, Groucho. Yeah. What's the question? I'll edit it out. It's. Uh, do you think? <laughs> it's funny but no <laughs> oh man yeah i'm yeah. not uh, we, we shouldn't answer that question no. but that's funny oh that's yeah, funny it's, it's hilarious but no okay uh bill musgrave asks our beloved bill musgrave oh hi, bill. yes um he should be coaching somewhere instead of posting on atq all the time hmm. um he asks where are my pants uh, you know, I asked myself that same question. Uh, that was a problem back in my college days. Um, God, I wish I could help you there, Bill. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, Bill, uh, here's my answer. First off, why are you wearing pants on game days? You know the rules. No pants. Mm. Also, on non-game days, please find your pants, because society frowns upon those of, uh, who don't wear pants outside in the public. So, yeah. Apparently, pants are an important thing in public. I just started wearing pants again because of the weather, and my yeah. legs are not happy about it. Okay, that wraps up our Q&A Quacks and Answers segment for this week's show. Moving on to our second favorite segment of the show called uh, What's Willie Doing This Week? Yeah, apparently he did a lot of things this week. He won against North Carolina State admittedly against the poor performing North Carolina State team. But it was fairly close, I, th I believe. I think he has things going on the right track. He finally didn't squander a halftime lead. Yes, it's, it's shocking. Shocking. Just yes. shocking. Got the lead and held on to it. Um, they have a bye week coming up, so they got to work on some things. Their next game is going to Clemson, so... I'm I'm not expecting anything spectacular to be happening in that one. I'll be happy if Florida State keeps it within 20 this year. Historically, whoever wins this game goes on to win the ACC. Yeah. I think it's been for like the last 12 years, I want to say. Yeah. And I don't think it's going to be any different this year. Yeah, the ACC Coastal is so bad. <laughs> I don't know. Virginia might give Clemson a game, I think. Yeah, I think uh, the hiring of uh, Jim Levitt, our long-lost friend Jim Levitt, 
has turned things around for Willie on defense. I agree. There's a lot of mumblings that he is now the de facto defensive coordinator, but for some reason yeah. they can't officially give him the title. Something about NCAA has a cap on how many number of coaches you can have. So he can stay on as a uh, consultant, but everybody knows that he's now calling the shots defensively. Yeah, the players have come out and said it vaguely, but it's uh, if you read in between the lines, it's it's that's the truth. So that wraps up the Willie segment for the week. There was some significant news regarding Oregon football the past weekend. Um, former USC receiver Devin Williams transferred to Oregon after what you would call a wild week last week involving the Oregon State Beavers. Yeah, that was bizarre. Yeah. Um, so for those of you who, who don't know, uh, Devin Williams, a wide receiver for USC, um, decided to transfer to Oregon State. But then at the last minute, Oregon came in and offered him a scholarship, and he immediately switched his commitment to Oregon, leaving Oregon State feeling uh, awkward, dejected, and lonely yet again. I don't know if that affected their game last weekend, but um, I think it certainly played a role in Oregon State coming out very slowly. Also, the funniest part is that the Oregon State football Twitter account has um, Devin Williams in the um, Oregon State mock-up. The tweet is still up six days later. I was like, okay, is someone falling asleep at the wheel here? Because they should have deleted that as soon as the news broke that he was going to Oregon. Yeah, that's awkward. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's still up. Some of my friends who are Oregon State fans, yes, I admit I have friends that are Oregon State fans, are actually really encouraged by this news that a highly touted recruit would even consider for a moment going to Oregon State. And they consider that in and of itself a win. Yeah, it's weird things in Corvallis, I'll say. Also, I just got a message from one of the big softball accounts that run things nationally that Oregon softball program has a number three ranked transfer class coming in. So that's pretty good. So that for the number three ranked transfer class going out that we had last year. Yeah. So hopefully they turn things around this year. Hopefully. Also, we briefly touched on this earlier the state of California passed the SB 206. The I forgot what it was called, but it it, uh, it grants players starting in 2022 or 2023 the right to make money off their likenesses. So I believe that's a big step in changing the ancient NCA protocol. So we'll see, because uh, there's numerous other legislations in other states going on. So we'll see how it affects the NCA in the long run. So what are your thoughts on the measure? Well, immediately, I don't like it on its face. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and shake my fist at amateurism, and I'm not going to pretend that the university isn't making hundreds of thousands of dollars um, off of these guys. But for the same reason I don't like the transfer portal is that it's just it's turning college football into more of a professional football model. You know, the, one of the reasons I love watching college football is because of um, because it's got a completely different feel to the NCAA or to the NFL, and 
I feel like this is one of those steps, a big step in kind of giving it more of that NFL feel, you know, starting to, to pay players, starting to allow them to leave the school on a whim, the new four game red shirt rule. Um, it just feels like with all this deregulation, we're losing a lot of uh, what has made college football what it is and made it what sets it apart from the NFL. Um, now, one of the things that I really do enjoy about it is that it doesn't take effect for another four years, which gives teams uh, time to adjust for the competitive advantage, the competitive advantage, um, and it gives uh, the NCAA and state institutions time to figure out things like um, who's in charge of paying the taxes for a student who's making money off of his likeness is the student is at the school um you know stuff like that like there's still a lot of things that need to be accounted for that i just plain don't know yet you know we'll we'll see once that once the rubber hits the road what the real effect is and i don't think that this is one of those things that you could put the genie back into the bottle with yeah um like once california has has passed this then Everyone else is going to get left in the dust if they don't jump on board as soon as they can. Yeah, I think it's going to be similar to the legalization of marijuana, how that process worked out. Yeah, I believe the players should be paid, you know, something for their work. It's just, um, yeah, they should be paid for their efforts and they should be able to make money like a normal student could be able to. It's, um, it's going to be interesting to track how the government gets involved involving taxes and all that other government stuff so we have some time to figure it out thankfully so i think congress should get involved and do something nationally instead of having 50 different states do 50 different things and then that confuse the ncaa even more when the ncaa is inept as it is so yeah the federals the federal government should get involved as well have one concrete law say hey this is it this is what you're going to do and don't screw it up because Uncle Sam always always has his cut of the pie. So, yeah. So I believe that wraps up our show for today. Uh, what were your closing thoughts? Well, one of the games that I'm looking forward to watching, not necessarily for the football, even though I imagine it will be an excellent football game, is the UCF-Cincinnati game because Cincinnati just re-turfed their field. Well, I don't know if they <laughs> re-turfed it or if they just uh, redesigned it but they've got a really intimidating black turf with yeah. uh, the bearcat eyes right there in, in midfield. And I imagine that's going to be really cool to watch on TV. Growing up watching Boise State games, I'm familiar with the blue turf, but to see games played on a black turf, that's going to be exciting. Yeah, that's going to be weird to see. Yeah, my closing thoughts are that I'm glad justice was served in the Amber Geiger case. I don't know if you guys were following the case in Dallas recently, but um, the situation was that Amber Geiger, a former police officer in the Dallas Police Department, um, shot an unknown man in the wrong apartment, and um, she's been convicted of murder, which is justified because uh, I'm not going to get into all the details. Um, I'm sure you guys have followed the case, but um, as a minority in this country where, you know, things are, the system is set up against us. So I'm glad justice is served for not only for Mr. Gene, 
but his family as well. I hope the, the verdict brings some some amount of closure to to his family. He can't be brought back, but the verdict should help bring some small measure amount of closure to his family. From what I've read and heard, he was an outstanding citizen academically and in his professional life. So he was taken far too young. I believe he was 29. And um, it's a sad situation all around. And um, the judicial system served its purpose in this case. And Miss Geiger got what she uh, what she deserved in her crime. And I believe that wraps up our show. Uh, please rate and re- review us. And um, and go Ducks. Go Ducks.